Welcome, everyone, to what is going to be a fantastic episode of Outlaws of Horror. Today, the Outlaws are joined by a very special guest, a man who is recognized as one of the most successful martial artists in the world today. He commenced his journey in 1972 after being introduced to judo by his two older brothers. Since then, he has continuously been training in various disciplines of martial arts. In 1989, our guest began the practice of wushu and has since studied with many Chinese instructors, some considered living treasures in their respective discipline. Our guest has competed in tournaments, both nationally and internationally, winning numerous competitions and awards for his ability in forms, weapons, and hand-to-hand -hand combat. Not only is he a successful martial artist, but he has also had a successful career in film, starring in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies and choreographing various fight scenes for movies such as Press Start and Book of Swords. But it was his groundbreaking work in the video game Mortal Kombat that would introduce him to the world, not only as an actor and martial artist, but also as a pioneer of motion capture, a technique that would go on to become a staple for creating characters in movies and video games. He also stepped in front of the camera for Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2, bringing to life iconic characters such as Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Today, he can be found passing on his knowledge at Chicago Wushu and traveling around the United States, taking part in various martial arts seminars. Joining Cameron Allen, Paul Meenan, and your host, Alan Keane, it is our absolute pleasure to introduce today's very special guest, none other than Johnny Cage himself, Master. Daniel Pessina. Hello everyone and welcome to this very special edition of Outlaws of Horror. I'm going to be your host Alan Keane and today I'm joined with fellow Outlaws Cameron Allen and Paul Meenan. Say hello fellas. Hey alright guys, uh, you already know who I am. Um, I'm very excited for this one today. I can, I can attest he is incredibly excited. Hello everyone, I'm Paul and it's a privilege to be here today. Yeah, I'm just going to have my 2P in as well. I am also very excited to be here today because, obviously, you've just heard our introduction. We are going to be joined by none other than Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Johnny Cage himself, Master Daniel Pessina, the actor. And the only thing I can say to, say, um, to start with, fellas, you can tell we're all very excited. Um, so I was talking to one of my workmates um, when I said that we had this guest coming on the show. And the words he used to describe him were living legend. And he really, truly is. Um, so... Uh, I don't want to go too much into his um, background already because we're going to chat with him um, and, and find out all about that. But I would just like to say a massive, massive thank you and welcome to Master Daniel Pesina. Round one. Master Pesina, thank you very much again for uh, for joining us. Um, 
I guess the first question I want to ask you is, you know, how are you do, doing with the whole COVID um, crisis, which is uh, sweeping across the nation? How's it affecting you? Well, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me and taking your time to, to visit me here in the U.S. Um, naturally, it's it's really weird. Personally, it's uh, uh, it hasn't really uh, uh, like affect me in a negative way, but it has, you know, I'm in the States and, and uh, a lot of people don't, don't believe it, but believe in it, uh, surprisingly, you know, I am really surprised how many friends I have who really don't believe in the science or anything like that. So, but for me, you know, I do the social distancing. I don't uh, wash, I wash my hands. I'm not afraid to, as you guys know, I'm not afraid to wear a mask. So uh, actually I, I have a, a guy from a friend from Cincinnati. It's a different state. But uh, I, I just gave him a free plug, uh, Cincinnati shirts. He sent me like actual Mortal Kombat masks that are like Scorpion and Sub Zero. So wow, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, teach, teach, because I still teach uh, privates. Uh, I put those masks on and I, I come walking around like Scorpion and Sub Zero. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is a strange time, and hopefully everyone you know will will come out out of this with. Uh, uh, a little more knowledge and a little more concern for our fellow human beings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that leads me to, to the next question I was going to ask you is, you know, how are you teaching your classes or, you know, interacting with your pupils while this is happening? You know, what sort of things are you having to do to, to, enable, to, well, to enable yourself to be able to do that? Um, yeah, uh, so uh, I teach mainly privates. So the classes are relatively small and we go outside. We go to a park. And uh, the class size are relatively like seven, eight people. So we get, uh, because they're uh, two, there's like, they took down, here basketball is really big. So they took down the rims of outdoor basketball courts. So they're just sitting empty. So when we go uh, to work out at, at a park, we get like a, a, a really huge area to work out. And it works out well too, uh, if we're doing weapons, we do a lot of weapons. So naturally you have to keep your distance unless you whack each other. <laughs> With a sword or a staff or something like that, so it, it's been working out okay. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that it hasn't kind of affected you as as much as what it could have done. Um, so, first of all, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about your, your background in martial arts. So, um, my first question on that is, how did you get started? Started in there? Um, martial arts. When I was younger. Uh, there was a black and white, so everybody gets an idea of how far back this. There was a black and white series, TV series called Charlie Chan, the Detective. And in this series, this little short Chinese fat guy would, would solve crimes. He was kind of like, a, a, like a, a, just a detective who would just get hired out to solve different crimes. So during one of those episodes, I saw him judo throw like a bigger guy. And I just thought it was so awesome. And I used to watch the series like at an early age with, with my dad. My brother, Carlos, who's Raiden, wasn't born yet. So I was like about six or seven years old and I saw this. I was like, holy cow. And my dad started, uh, my dad was in the U.S. military for a little bit. And he, he was like, I could teach you that throw. So my dad actually taught, taught me my first kind of throw. Uh, I, think he, I think he went over, for, naturally he went over for me and fell on the ground. And then he didn't want to be thrown again because he's, you know, yeah. <laughs> he thought it was a good idea at the time, but when he actually did it, he I could recall he was like, no, no, I don't want to do it anymore. And so I kept on bugging him for martial art lessons for a really long time until he finally got sick of hearing me and he took <laughs> me for martial art lessons. 
Wow, that's um, that's a good story to begin with. Uh, yeah, it's almost like yeah, you know, your dad was encouraging you, do you think, to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so. He, yeah, he was. He thought it was once I started. He thought it was cool. You know, a few years later, like about maybe about ten years ago, he he saw he saw me at a. I think I forget what was there was an interview or something like that. And they had clips of me doing martial arts, and he saw that, and he was just like, "I never thought in the that you would hold on to this so long." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. All right, should we go around and Paul? Do you want to ask a question? Yeah. So I mean, Sorry. for me, uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so for me, one of the things about martial arts, I've been a, a martial arts fan from a very young age, because, I mean, if you mention martial arts in any form, immediately people will think Bruce Lee, they think uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who are the more Hollywood-esque, bigger names, um, iconic names. But I want to kind of take it back to um, the actual martial art itself, because you, um, I believe, you study, is no, you teach Wushu, Chicago Wushu is your, where you where you teach. Um, and the art form is wushu, but um, if you look at others, I'm kind of trying to get uh, what's, um, what made you study wushu as an art rather than say the uh, Wing Chun, which people know of, like Bruce Lee. He grew up studying um, that form. Of all the different forms and techniques that you could study as martial arts, what made you choose the one that you you now currently teach? Actually, uh, that's a good question. I love the MK logo behind you. It's a, it's a really good effect. It's an awesomeness. Um, but, uh, uh, two, because I, I've studied in mainland China, and, and uh, actually Wushu means martial art. So if you study in China uh, and you say, oh, I study Wushu, they'll look at you and say, well, what kind? So it could be Korean Wushu. It could be Japanese Wushu. It could be Chinese Wushu. So technically, Wing Chun is Wushu. Everybody, everybody uses a phrase Kung Fu. Yeah. Yeah, Kung Fu actually means skill and time. Anything that you take, uh, any skill that takes a lot of time is Kung Fu. So if you're a chef, you have Kung Fu. If you are a car mechanic, you are Kung Fu. If you are a good graphic artist or musician, you have Kung Fu. So uh, when when I uh, wushu is just an overall term. So personally, uh, I I teach like uh, man even to this day I think uh, I I still study uh, wushu or martial arts. Any and my thing right now is traditional wushu or traditional martial arts. I like the old school stuff. So even though I enjoy watching MMA and and the sport uh, martial arts, I I do like the Shaolin wushu. Or uh, uh, Bagua Wushu. Uh, actually, one of my favorite uh, systems is Bagua, and it's represented in The Last Airbender. Like the mm-hmm. airbender oh, yeah. does Bagua. Well, he tries to do Bagua really technically. You know what I mean? They need they need some help with the moves. But Eddie, because I'm just like that geeky, but I still enjoy watching it. I still watch. You know, naturally, I watch the anime more than the movie. I was mm-hmm. very hey. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, um, Sorry, carry on, Cam. No, no, I just so I do. uh, Yeah, I do martial arts. It's um, as I was doing my research, I kind of um, found that you've actually done a number of different disciplines. So, um, you know, which how did how you know from doing having your first judo throw from your from your father? How did you sort of 
then go on and decide which disciplines you wanted to to learn. Obviously, judo was one that you wanted to start with initially, um, but then what was it that made you sort of look elsewhere while you were doing judo? Um, so the journey was like at the time too, when I started doing judo, when I was uh, nine years old, there was no technical kids class. It was a teenage class. So the youngest person in there was 13. But my dad took me in and he talked, had, spoke with the instructor and the instructor was ex-military. And, and they it came, it kind of came out and my dad's ex-military. So the guy was like, okay, I'll, I'll take your son. Even though he's nine years old, I'll put him in with the, the teenagers. And so I started doing that and, uh, and eventually I did a little Shotokan uh, Karate and a little bit of uh, Shotokan Jiu-Jitsu or, or also Samurai Jiu-Jitsu, a, a very little bit because they didn't want to teach that type of things to, to uh, kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I, think, I recall that you had to be 16 to take Jiu-Jitsu. Really? Yeah, just because of the joint locking and the potential. Uh, uh, and it was a, more of a combat style rather than a sports style. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it was really kind of, uh, it was like, oh, you're not old enough to do that. But eventually that school closed and, you know, and my dad was like, man, this guy really loves it. I'm going to look for a new school. So we, at that time, well, even to this day, my parents live about 10 minutes from Chinatown. So my dad drove around Chinatown, found a school and he, he took me to it. And it was really funny that, and it wound up this guy is a, a uh, Grandmaster Wei Lun Choi. He's actually uh, some of the guys who studied with Bruce Lee came to Chicago to study with this guy later on. He's he's really no holds bar, uh, very traditional <laughs> martial artist, very very uh, um, uh, very very effective fighter. I think it was 1971. He fought the Chinese, uh, the Hong Kong Open, which is what. Everybody looks at like what blood sport is, but they actually have a real one. And, and in the end, he won that. And there's really? no weight. Yeah. yeah, there's no weight divisions. You know, you just, everybody's name goes in this thing and they pick out two names and those two guys fight. And so, yeah. And so in, in the end, this guy uh, won it. But I went to his school. I didn't even know this stuff until later. Uh, <laughs> that uh, Yeah, he's like, he was this really effective guy. And so uh, then I started doing Kung Fu. And which was, I always wanted to try to do uh, Kung Fu or, or Wushu because Bruce Lee did it, did it. And so I really wanted to study that. So that's where my journey with the Chinese martial arts really started with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Paul, uh, Cameron, you got a question? Yeah, um, I would say, obviously, with all the different kind of styles in the world and, you know, you're training with so many different teachers and stuff. What would you say would the big, like the biggest hardship you've ever come across in martial arts would be? Whether it was like um, your own mental state of you know either giving up as a kid or um, injuring yourself or some some along that line. Um, studying martial arts uh, in China, there's a famous. Like uh, when you study in China, they have three symbols. One is sweet, the symbol for sweet as in taste, and it's very, very small. And then they have a a symbol for bitter, which is really, really big. It's meaning you have to taste a lot of bitter before you get to taste a little bit of sweet. So the training is like, um, 
you know, my first time in China, it was, I think it was 85, 1985, and the, the doors just opened for that. And uh, we uh, went to train there, and they would hit you with like, it was like a g gymnastics, they would hit you with a stick to make corrections, because you would learn a lot quicker. If somebody yells at you, you learn, but you don't learn quick. And, and because a lot of these old school masters think that for some reason you're going to be using this martial art to, to uh, save your life, there's like a, there, and that you're actually going to use it, they kind of want to instill, like, you got to get it quick, otherwise you're going to die. That's what they kind of think. That was old, really old guys thought like that. And they were teaching. So, uh, so I recall my first day uh, after training, I uh, came home, didn't eat, slept. I did that for three days. On the third day, I couldn't walk home. I had to get on the back of a little kid's bike, and he would and he pedaled me to the hotel because I couldn't walk from how sore I was. Because it was like it was a three-hour workout, and you don't stop, and you got a guy yelling at me. I I I I can't recall. I thought I got a nickname uh, because the Chinese uh, the Chinese instructor would be yelling at me, and I'd be you know I'd be training, and he'd be hitting me with a stick and yelling at me, and I thought I had this nickname. And uh, we we had an interpreter like every two or three days. So finally, I, I asked the interpreter, "Hey, what's the, I got a nickname? This is my nickname." And he started laugh laughing, and he goes, "That means lazy capitalist." lazy capitalist. But I thought I had a nickname. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" But uh, but and to 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 kind of get round out this question, how this I have a I have a uh, knee replacement, and I also have uh, a hip resurfacing. So with the hip, they have a new uh, technology which they don't actually uh, uh, cut your hip out and put a replacement in. They actually resurface it. So like I have titanium caps over my uh, ball joint of the hip and a, and a, and a synthetic socket in, in my left hip, and my right knee is not my knee, it's that. So I've endured a lot of stuff. And two, I knew that was going to happen. That was the sacrifice. I just kept training. You know, the uh, doctors would look at it and be like, oh, you should stop doing that stuff. And I was like, okay. And then I will do it, uh, do it tomorrow. And I just, you know, this morning, I, I'm kind of a hands-on teacher. So this morning, I actually work out, like, with my clients, I work out alongside of them. I don't just say, hey, do this. I show them, like, every step of the way. But, uh, yeah, it's, so injuries, yeah, I've had a, had a few. <laughs> Got a fake knee and uh, and a bionic hip. <laughs> uh, it, it, I mean, I think you know. Look, looking at it though, I mean, you've you've had such a you know successful life in in martial arts, regardless of, of you know the sacrifices that you've made and stuff. I mean, so when was it? When when did you actually sort of um, get that thought in your mind that actually you wanted to do this for a living or you wanted to do this professionally? Um, this is the only thing you could kind of. You know, imagine yourself doing, you know, because obviously we've seen you've, you've done a lot of work sort of behind the camera, in front of the camera and that. When, when did you sort of start thinking about maybe, you know, that, that as a career as, as such? Yeah, I, I just so, so uh, too, I, I often tell my students, uh, don't live your life like I did, but you should practice your martial arts like I, I did. Because mm -hmm. I was kind of very, very crazy with the martial arts, always going, you know, uh, always that being my priority. You know, and as you get older, you got different priorities. You have <laughs> so, uh, but at one time, I, re I recall I was working, you know, just working and, and working out and stuff like that. And I was like, 
just like, man, I, if I'm going to, I want to teach martial arts. I want to share what I have. And I think it'd be cool to, to do that. And I was just like, there's no way I can work, work out and teach because teaching was not going to take the place of working out. I was still mm -hmm. going to uh, do the, uh, at that, at the point I decided, I think I was doing workouts like five hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty excessive. That's good. <laughs> really, really pretty good shape. You know, I remember when I competed, I, one time I took a, like they tested the content of my fat in my body, which is not now, but I was like under 4% fat. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's was like, that's some intensity in it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, too. I, I could eat a pizza and have a six pack of beer and not gain any weight whatsoever. So it was a really good. <laughs> now, I now I can do that. I don't feel guilty about that. But then I was just like, you know what? I got to quit this job and just try to teach martial arts and just work out. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I did. You know, I mean, what, what, what were the kind of the hardships then? I mean, because I can imagine sort of, you know, leaving work and then trying to start off your your you know your, your your classes and that was it really difficult to begin with you know was it um yeah. did you know were there many difficulties for you to overcome like you know did you open up and have like very, only a few students or anything like that was there was, was there a lot of difficulty when you first started uh yeah even though uh even you know i, I was gonna open a school up and my instructor was like my instructor would told me he goes you're gonna open a school up he goes, you cannot treat all your students like you, you treat the students you teach for me. Because I would teach for my instructor like twice a week, but man, I'd make them like, like I trained. They were gonna do, and I would train right next to them. So everything I was, you know, okay, we're gonna do jump splits. We're gonna do 50 jump splits, which basically means you're standing up and jump into splits and then you jump back up. And then he's like, yeah, which is not really good for making money. You know, <laughs> I, I, I learned to let people practice to the amount, to the extent they want to, because it's, you know, it's still a journey. And even if they do it casually, they can get a lot out of it. So at the beginning, I kind of was very, very hard. And later on, I was like, well, you got to recognize what people really want and try to uh, streamline your teaching in the, into the individual. So even though they're in a class, you got to teach them individually. So it, it, it's it's a lesson. It, it's a really good lesson in life. You know, you got to be patient. And you got to remember that, you know, even though, you know, somebody might like get, uh, to play guitar, but they will never be Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. but, because that too, that takes a big sacrifice. You know, you're probably eating, you know, you're not eating well because, you know, you're practicing. So you're not, you know, you're not making money or you're sacrificing things for it. So, yeah, it, it's, it's again, you know, practice my martial arts like I do, but don't live your life like I do. Was, <laughs> you know. uh, I Paul, did you want to ask a question? Um, I do, actually, and it kind of picks up on the last few questions because I'm genuinely a firm believer in the lessons. Everything that happens to us in life, whether good or bad, is a lesson that we should always reflect upon and learn and grow. And, and for me, um, Master Pacina, I have a very simple question for you and that is um what would you consider are your major influences or influencers on your life and the directions that you've taken major influences yeah and uh, 
this you know what the secret to martial arts the mysterious secret the metaphysical secret the uh is training and practice you just practice it over and over again and it's it might be difficult but you know people do it with uh you know, if they're learning a computer program, you got to practice it a lot or anything like that. If you're going to uh, have something, if you want to learn to cook a, a dish, you got to practice it a lot. So I think the influence of practice has really uh, is really and that and that uh, discipline to do it over and over, even though you make it a hundred mistakes. I always tell my students when they make a mistake, I was like, oh, I've, I've done that mistake more than you will ever do. So don't even worry about it, just keep doing it. You know, because everybody needs to make their own mistakes. And you can't look at it like, oh, as a failure. You just gotta keep trying and trying and trying as long as you're, and again, as long as you're doing something reasonable. Don't jump off, you know, an eight-story building and think you're gonna fly and then if you survive, try to do it again. That's preposterous. <laughs> but everything that you really wanna try to do and, and you know, if it's artwork or whatever, Practice it. If you fail at it, try it again. If you know, try it, try it at least a thousand times before you give up on it. If after a thousand times, uh, one of my masters was was like, he saw a look on my face. I was doing a technique. I forget what technique, but I'm doing this technique, and I'm making this face. And he looks at me. And he's like, you haven't done this technique a thousand times. You do not have the right to make that face. He goes, once you do it a thousand times and you feel the same way, then you can make the face. But until you do it a thousand times. Don't complain. And then he hit me with a stick. <laughs> it's, it's true. No. It's true. But that is, that is the thing. People don't, you know, don't give up on your dreams or whatever you're doing. Just keep on trying to do it. And again, if if you do it a thousand times and you still suck, then maybe it's not for you. Move on to something else to do it another, that thing a thousand times. You know, just keep, keep going. So hopefully I addressed the question and just didn't veer off. <laughs> No, no, it's a very good answer, sir. Very good. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Cameron, you got anything you want to ask? Get over here, Cameron. <laughs> I'm a massive Mortal Kombat fan, so like that was like a dream come true. That was awesome. Glad I could say that. Maybe we'll get into that. Actually, uh, Kano, Rich Divizio, coined that phrase or made up that phrase, get over here. Did he really? Yeah, he really did, yeah. That's so, another so. <laughs> the one, the, the one kind of goes. The, the one question I've got now is like, that kind of goes into media and stuff like that. Obviously, you mentioned the TV you show you watched as a kid, but what would you say like is the one like maybe film or the TV series that you've watched throughout your life where you've kind of gone like, that's really cool. Like, I want that. I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. Um, I don't know about it. Um, one that I wanted to do, but oh, oh I, I, you know, Firefly. If they ever rebooted Firefly, <laughs> I would want it. You know, uh, two like uh, uh, all the core members from the first Mortal Kombat game. Even though, and even though we had like, you know, the guy who did Kung Lao, he was supposed to be the first game. But we are all big fans of like uh, of of uh, Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. My brother and I are, are super big fans of Godzilla. Yeah. Like I would like to, even though it doesn't have any martial arts or anything in it, I would like to be in a Godzilla movie. <laughs> uh, we are also, my brother, myself, 
and uh, I actually, it's just my brother and myself are big horror, horror fans. And, and Rich, Rich DeVizio, uh, the guy who does Kano, he's a, he, uh, he's a big horror fan. We would like to be in a, like a, a horror movie, but we would like to be in a, uh, we, and we talk about this, like we would like to be in a, in more of like a, like a, a, a scary demon movie or, or a haunted movie because, uh, you know, when I told uh, Rich with, uh, Kano that I was going to be on your program, he was just like, he, he was like, oh, remember we used to talk about that? And I was like, yeah, we used to talk about that. He goes, remember, we, wouldn't, we didn't want to be like an adjacent movie because it's just dumb to be an adjacent movie because we're martial artists. We could just get a sword, hack them up in little pieces, and we know <laughs> in a different box, and we know... You'd have killed a franchise. Yeah. <laughs> and then drop one in the river and drop one here, and they'll put all the pieces together so he comes back together. So why don't they do that in a movie? So, you know, when we do that. But, uh, but you know, but his, his you know, his, uh, so I would like to do something like that, you know, to be, and not necessarily martial arts uh, related or stuff like that. You know, uh, you, my, my brother and I, we were like, oh, it'd be cool if we get to redo Prince of Darkness. That would be so cool <laughs> to, to be in that movie because it was just so, such a big uh, uh, thing in our life. Going, You know, those are movies we watched, man, at least a couple hundred times. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to drop my little two p in here now, uh, Master Piscina, as I am actually a horror film producer and maker. <laughs> so if if, it, if there's ever the opportunity, do not worry. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. But, yeah. Um, so with, with the media side, then I mean, your your first um, uh, your first credit was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Is that correct? When you played the Foot Clan. Yeah. So how did that how did that come about? Then how did you get that um, that role? Um, we were, we, myself, Ho-Sung, and uh, Rich, Divisio Kano, would compete. So we'd go to tournaments and compete, and we were at a tournament called Battle of Atlanta. And we heard that, uh, through the grapevine, we heard that, hey, there, there's somebody here looking for people to be in a movie. But we didn't know which one. So we were all kind of like an agreement, like, hey, uh, and at the time, Ho-Sung, was like uh, the bigger, the uh, the bigger competitor. You know, he would go to more tournaments. He had a sponsor. He was really that he. You know, Rich and I had jobs. We couldn't go to as many things like that. But but he was the big one. And so we went made an agreement where just like, hey, if somebody approaches you and you get the chance to be in in it, speak up for us. And we flew all over together. We'd drive together and do all that stuff. The tournaments together, hang out together all the time. So he we were just like, okay, if that happens, we we do that. So they approached Ho Sung, who then was like, oh, you got to get these guys. These are really good stunt guys, you know, because they were looking for guys uh, uh, to do. Later, later on, I got the big picture when after I went and, and uh, down and met the uh, producer and the choreographer. You know, uh, when you look at the old uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, you see the big head on them. The eye holes are about, man, about that big. But two, they're situated <laughs> way out here. So they're not like this. So you can't really see anything in front of you. So if you ever watch the movie and you see the guys, the, the Foot Clan moving like this, it's so that way we can see where the kick is coming coming or punch is coming and jump in front of it. So that way we can sell the technique. Otherwise, the guy will. Otherwise, the guy in the turtle suit really doesn't know what's going on with, with any of the technique. So 
you know, you're uh, when you see it, we're acting kind of all goofy because we don't want to uh, start from a dead stop. We we need to like be able to jump in front of the blows and, and do that. So, and I kind of learn that. That was a uh, cool. Can I chip in on here? So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm sure Cameron will agree. Um, I was in school when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, secondary school. Um, and it was a, to say national phenomenon was an understatement. Um, our country for a period of probably two to four years went Ninja Turtles insane. Everything from cards to games to comics, everything was ninja turtles obsessed if you were between the ages of five and 15 it was ninja turtles mad i remember when the movie the original movie came out i remember the sequel queuing up at the cinema going in to watch the film walking out the exit and literally turning right of the exit and joining the queue again to watch the same film again and I remember doing that three times, three times. Okay, for those movies. So Ninja Turtles was a big, big thing. Um, for most kids, I think in England, I think it's fair to say there was a very healthy, um, and in this country in general, there is a great respect for the martial arts and martial arts movies and everything around martial arts. I mean, last year I went to uh, Comic-Con Scotland and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme turned up to it. And the place was packed with martial artists there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people dressed in martial arts gear just to meet and greet him and bolo young it was insane they were totally overwhelmed by it so this country's always had a really really good healthy love and respect for everything martial arts whether it be movies magazines the art form just going back to what you said earlier on as well when i was a kid i tried to get into it and i weren't allowed to until i was 16 they wouldn't let you join a local right. local club. It was actually Bloodsport that really got me into the whole <laughs> thing. Because, and do you know what it is? And this is a true story. I'm just going to tell a quick true story. Yeah. It was the scene in Bloodsport where he's doing the um, speedball and he's doing the kick. And I thought to myself, um, I'd love to be able to do that kick. And like what you said, practice, practice, practice. I found a gym that had a speedball <laughs> and I am an absolute diva at speedball. And yes, I can high kick a speedball. Not now, I'm slightly bigger, <laughs> but five, six years ago, I could literally do speedball without even looking at it and do a hike, a speed, a spin kick on it just from practice. You had to do it 10,000 times to yes. get it and get the flexibility. So, yeah, that's uh, just what I chip in there. Sorry, no, it's, it's good because it's it touches on all the points we touched on, and and two, like how big of a you know, uh, the uh, like I, I'm, I'm a geek. Like a couple days ago, I bought the Foot Soldier, uh, retro Foot Soldier from NECA. They're coming out with a special edition of that and a Tokar and Razar from the the number, uh, the Secret of the Ooze, a replica, exact replica. So I snatched those up. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this chat, Master uh, because it's just, um, you, you kind of. Um, Almost like a, a, a version of us in a sense, because we're massive geeks as well. <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't feel so bad chatting to chatting to you now, <laughs> yeah. because you know, because um, yeah, you know, sometimes if you if when you talk to someone if they're not geeks, you kind of feel a little bit out of place. But you know, I'm glad glad that you're um, I'm glad that you're one of us. <laughs> Just remember, one person's geek is another person's passion. I've always thought. Yeah. Yeah. End of the day, it's a love and passion. Yeah. I have two more questions. Yep, go ahead. Um, I've got two more questions for you, um, uh, Master Pacina. Um, first one, um, advice 
for people in today's modern world is a bit crazy and chaotic. We we touched earlier on about the coronavirus. Sometimes you don't horrible times in the world as we have at the moment with this horrid virus. Sometimes you don't see the best in people. Um, what advice do you have for people in general? If someone came up to you and said, "Look, I'm having problems in my life. Um, I, you know, I've got family problems, money problems, etc." Yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone as disciplined as yourself does get people asking for advice. You are, by definition, a teacher of martial arts. So, what advice would you have for people listening uh, to this podcast? General advice, outlook on life, whatever. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's important to realize i don't know if it's much of advice but just like we were saying you know we're all geeks people should remember that we are you know you're not alone out there even though you can physically be alone and you feel like like a like you're alone you're you're not you know and and uh it's one of the it's one of the only positives of social media you can actually reach out to people maybe you don't have friends exactly around you but you're a geek you could go on social media you've got a couple hundred friends who are who really know who who share the same passion of you who have that same comic who have loved that same anime you could just reach out to them and say hey what are you doing and you can get some kind of conversation going and and know that you're you're not alone and for for us too it's more like uh uh we're together so you know Remember, if you if you bully somebody or make fun of somebody, eventually you're really going to be alone. You're going to be really complaining like, oh, nobody likes me. No, no crap. Can I say that? No yeah. crap. <laughs> you're a jerk. Who's going to like you? So stop being a jerk. Be, be nice to each other. And then guess what? You will have tons of friends. And that might solve your problem. This guy might be like, hey, you know, he that guy, he's pretty cool. You know, there's somebody looking for a job. That guy, you should hire that guy. He's pretty cool. You know, I think he'd work out. Or just let, or just, hey, you know what? Oh man, I, I'm I'm feeling this. Hey, I'm feeling that too. What? I never knew that happened to you. Oh well, yeah, I get depressed too. You know, it's it's we live in a strange time, and sometimes I overthink like people doing all these craziness to each other or refusing to, you know, wash your hands or wear a mask. It's not that, it's not that big. Be a ninja. Yeah, that is crazy. Put on a ninja mask. You know, now yeah. that. It's awesome. You know, don't, you don't need to, it, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, in here in the U.S., they're like, oh, I want to be free. You're, you're going to be free to kill people. That's not a, that's not really a freedom. You're affecting somebody else. You're taking away somebody else's right. I totally agree with you. You, you know, just, and two, it's not a big, big, you know, it's not a big thing. You know, for me, I always think like, you know, my dad is like, uh, my dad's 90. He was in a Korean conflict. He did a tour of Korean conflict. I was like, you know, he really had a dangerous time. You know, people shooting at him, you know, fighting for, so we can, you know, together with other countries, so we can have some basic type of, you know, uh, freedom. That's really a rough time. You know, this, mm-hmm. What's happening right now is that that rough, put on the mask. Yeah. It's not too bad. You know, yeah. or the, you know get, just for half an hour, 20 minutes for the grocery store or, you know, if everybody put on a mask here in the U.S., we would probably have movie theaters open and we'd be able to go to the movie theater. But here in the U.S., they don't want to put on a mask. And guess what? I can't even go to the flipping movie. Yeah, I, I, I have wondered in all of this coronavirus stuff in watching America, how the um, uh, what's the the um, first and second and third and all these amendments 
um, where people say, oh, I, I've got, you know, I've got the right to do this, the right to do that. I don't really think this virus cared. I don't think it cares either that there's some document that was written a few hundred years ago by a bunch of blokes who didn't realize that this disease would wipe out thousands of people. It doesn't care. It's it's a it's a silly philosophy to have. I've got my freedom. Yes, you do. But you don't have the right to kill people and spread it and make people's lives worse. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, here here it's a law you have to wear a seatbelt. I don't see anybody complaining like, I'm not going to wear my seatbelt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Well, <laughs> after you've eat, eaten a pizza and had a couple pints, then the mask. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just the reasoning is so crazy. I just, you know, it, it's just nuts. It is nuts. And, you know, and if, if you're one of those people, I'm sorry about that, but, you know, but two, you can change. This is not, you don't have to be that guy who d refuses to wear a mask. You can turn around and people will look up to you if you're the guy who be like, oh, I, before I didn't believe a mask, but you know what? I'm going to wear a mask because I care about my neighbors or I care about my loved ones. So I'm putting on a mask. Dude, you would be like a hero. Everybody mm -hmm. would. And guess what? Now you've got the connections to go ahead and do other things. That's my advice. That's my <laughs> Good advice. That's fantastic advice. <laughs> Everybody listening, pay attention. <laughs> Uh, um, I've got one final question then based uh, just from your martial arts, and this is kind of like a hypothetical one. Um, if you could step onto the mat and spar with anybody, any martial artist, living or dead, to test your skills and see how you were, who would you choose? Man, probably I would like to, to move around with Donnie Yen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. from, uh, yeah. I've always been a fan from him, uh, for him. I, I've been a fan of his mother. His mother was the first one to bring uh, contemporary wushu or this uh, into the United States, uh, Bosan Mark. She's she's awesome, and he's awesome. He looks like he trains all the time. I train all the time, so not not a death match or anything like that. But just to kind of move around, just kind of get ideas, you know, it, it, to 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 share that uh, camaraderie of both of us being martial artists and heavily into uh, traditional martial art. I'm not gonna lie, but IP Man films are masterpieces. Yeah, they're, they're they're wonderful, amazing films, aren't they? So yeah. much, so many messages in them as well. It's not just about the combat. There's so many life stories and messages. There's one thing I love about Asian movies: they put so many um, life stories and messages throughout the content of the movie. It's great. Love right. it. I agree. <clears throat> Cameron, what's your cat's name? Oh, that was Pi. <laughs> Pi. Yeah, Pi. Uh, I've had the microphone muted because she meows very loudly. She came over and just screamed right into the mic. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm cat friendly. I, I used to have cats. And, you know, ever since I, I travel a little bit more, I'm like, uh, uh, I, I don't have them. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a, they're very self-sufficient. You, know, so, you clean the litter box, but basically they just own your own business. And they greet yeah. you at the door. And they greet you at the door, which does not, it, it's good. It's nice. Can can we tell Master Pacina about the um the the Mortal Kombat um the impact of Mortal Kombat on British society when it first came out? Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say I think um you know I think now's probably a really good good time to sort of maybe move into that sort of direction.